Welcome to an all-new episode of The Fanatic with your host, David Patrick. Um, today, I'm doing part two of the CT and, and football series that I started last week. Um, last week, if you remember, I talked about um, CT kind of at the beginning when they discovered it was an issue in the 2000s with Mike Webster's death, and they found it in Chris Henry, and... Ever since, really, the Webster case, they've been finding a bunch of former players at CTE. And then, of course, like I said, Junior Seau as well, who, unfortunately, he took his own life. Webster died of a heart attack. And Henry also had some mental problems as a result of his CTE. And he was only 26. So, obviously, it's a huge issue, even to this day. And today, I'm going to talk about, in part two, how the NFL has altered the rules to try to make um, the game safer. But I will say at the end of the show, I'm going to have my one big thought, which today my thought would be how the NFL is kind of contradicting itself as far as safety goes. But because they, they kind of have, especially with that new CBA that just got passed a few weeks ago. But obviously we don't know. You know, when the season's going to start and all that. But for right now, kind of want to bring you part two here about the rule changes and how that's kind of affected football over the past hundred years, you know, with the anniversary. So coming up, we got part two, rule changes. Stay tuned for that. Alright, so as I mentioned, the intro is all going to be about the rule changes, especially in the past hundred years. Um, one of the biggest ones we've seen, really all of these rules have really just come about in the last 10 to 15. So, obviously the game more or less has been the same from really day one. Obviously, some major changes to the game. Of course, the forward pass in the 2030s was becoming a big deal there was you know pass interference in the 70s and 80s and the head slap on linemen that defensive linemen used to do on offensive linemen was banned so we've really seen in the past hundred years a lot of different rule changes especially for like substituting as well because obviously back in the day the 20s 30s 40s Guys were playing both sides of the ball, so you really had to be an Ironman. And to play 60 minutes, that's just, that's crazy. To be able to, to last that long in a game that's without getting hurt or not getting tired. I mean, they were really, really Ironman back then. And of course, the um, helmets have changed as well. I'll talk about that at a later date. But really in the past 10-ish years, we've started to see rules like the helmet to helmet slash defenseless receiver for the longest time i really don't recall until maybe 10 12 15 years ago that that was actually a thing but really in the last 10 it's when it's been strictly more enforced especially in the last five watching for helmet to helmet and defenseless receiver so if anybody is clueless about what these are basically helmet to helmet guy leads with this helmet hits the crown of the other, at least with his crown, and hits the guy in the in his head. And most, most of the time, of course, even a little bit of contact will draw a flag, but they're really looking for malicious 
intent, of course. And especially this plays into um the college level too, because they're helmet to helmet or targeting, quote unquote, targeting, um, involves it an ejection at the collegiate level. So it was very serious. Um, of course, you want to protect against concussions, and then obviously the easiest way you're going to get one is getting hit in the head, um, especially helmet to helmet. So that was implemented to cut down on the CT, obviously. And as I mentioned in the last um, episode with Mike Webster, he was getting head slapped every time he looked up after snapping the ball because that was a huge... Um, thing that the offensive lineman took advantage of is a slap in the guy's head to kind of throw him off balance and get to the quarterback. So everyone practiced that. The greats, Deacon Jones, um, it's Leroy Selman, all the greats, pass rushers, did that. That's just kind of how it was, and it was accepted really into the subs late 70s. So luckily we don't have that rule anymore, but yeah, any help with the helmet contact now is just – taken very seriously nowadays and obviously we see why because that's easy target for concussions obviously they're probably they could happen regardless if you get in the head with a helmet or a shoulder or whatever but they are trying to limit um, concussions of course due to the fact that they are very serious and the NFL keeps getting lawsuits for it but and then the defenseless receiver basically the same thing um if they caught the ball and they're not making a football move, you can't have a malicious hit to the head or neck area. If they're a runner, all bets are kind of off at that point. But anything, getting hit as soon as the ball arrives, any contact to the head or neck just can be defenseless or helmet to helmet or targeting, whichever, whatever you want to label it. But yeah, I get defensive players at first. They... It was awful. There were so many flags being called because they couldn't adjust to it. They're not used to it. They have to adjust. They had to adjust. Heads up tackling. Keep your head up and don't lead with it. Which some people were concerned about. Oh, if you're hitting low, I'll take some guys' knees out. So we had guys tearing ACLs, blowing knees out because they were going low. But that's kind of the um, unintended result of this rule is guys can hit down low and in the knee which, of course, is also going to lead to season-ending injuries like ACLs. But that was just kind of one of the unintended results. But I think they've done a lot better in the past five years for sure, probably, just due to the fact that teams are actually practicing it and guys are just getting used to it now. And I think it's great that guys, because, like I said, the collegiate level, you do it, you get ejected. But they do review it just to make sure it wasn't vicious or malicious. So they do review targeting at the college level. And a lot of times they often find that it really wasn't targeting. The guy just kind of accidentally put a little shoulder to the head or something when he was going in for a tackle. So, well, yeah, once they figure out there's no intent, then it's just a 15-yard personal foul and there's no ejection. I mean, that's pretty straightforward as far as that goes. But it has helped a lot, I think, for sure. And that's great that it's being implemented at all levels of football. Because, like I said before, pretty much all bets were off. You were flying in 100 miles an hour, hitting a guy in the head. I mean, that was just kind of how it was. That was very common. And 
people got hurt because of it, of course. And one of the others that I'll mention, of course, as far as like guys on the field, roughing the passer used to be straightforward. You know, hit the guy, take a couple steps forward, and just lay him out. Well, they've adjusted that as well in the last 10 years or so, where it's roughing the passer the basic way it already was, but also any contact at the head and neck area of the quarterback, which this rule I don't think is very consistent, and I think it, a lot of it's just stupid to me. But um, basically any head or neck, you can't, um, you can't hit them. Even if you just touch them, brush them, don't even mean to touch them. Even a slight little, like, you just give them a little tap on the helmet, it's it's flagged. Just because that's a major issue. It's a concussion thing, of course. But I've seen some pretty pretty bad ones called where a guy just nicks him in the head or neck, and they call it. But unfortunately, it's not really universally enforced. It really depends on the quarterback, I think. The Golding boys like Brady and Breeze and the experienced guys usually do get that call. But oftentimes, I don't see it called consistently on younger quarterbacks in particular. But it is still necessary a rule because head and neck is a huge area, not only to possibly paralyze somebody, but giving them a concussion and repeated concussion. I know Trent Green, for example, had a many concussions. And there's one I remember that was really, really bad when he played for the Dolphins. He got, like, I think sandwiched between two guys or just blindsided. He got hit blindsided, and he, like, folded like a tent, man. This dude got hit, and he just fell straight to the ground, knocked out cold. So that really is one of the most egregious incidents. But this was really before that rule was in place. So obviously it wasn't really called because a, a rule for that specifically was not in place. But yeah, definitely plays like that, I think, are one of the reasons why that we have this rule because he got knocked out cold. And even to, even this year, um, Mason Rudolph from Pittsburgh, when we they were playing the Ravens, he got sandwiched between two guys and Folded like a tent, man. Just flat out got knocked cold as soon as he got hit. Wasn't called for some reason, but it was still a helmet hit. And he got knocked out from it and got concussed, obviously. So uh, clearly that that's why the rules in place. Well, I know it's, that's why it's in place, but um, it's not universally enforced, as I mentioned. You know, I hope high-profile guy, you're probably not going to get that call. But he got knocked out, and it was a very scary and dangerous situation. A lot of people were kind of freaking out. I was like, well, can, is he going to be able to walk? Is he going to be able to talk? Is he going to be able to do anything or move? Does he have any movement in his extremities? Fortunately, he was not hurt. But it's a scary thing, especially when a guy gets knocked out. You just This is something you don't really expect, I think. But it's part of the game, and unfortunate that it happened but it is a lot more rare than it used to be but it's still bound to happen it's really hard to avoid really 
hurting anybody. Obviously, it's a contact sport. You're going 100 miles an hour. So what do you expect to have happen? You have big body guys hitting each other. And they're running full speed. Some guys can't let up and stop from hitting the quarterback. That's just kind of the unfortunate thing about it, especially with the helmet-to-helmet contact. So many guys, they're going in perfect form, going low, but the other guy ducks. And he gets the call because he ducked, and that guy couldn't get lower than he did. Which is stupid. It's frustrating when a guy does it right and the guy ducks into it. To me, that's cheap. But the game's, of course, designed to benefit the offense. NFL doesn't like low-scoring games. I get that. I love a good defensive game, but most people don't. So, obviously, they're going to get the benefit of the doubt with that call. Like I said, it's stupid. But this is all about safety and preventing CTE. So, what can you really say? It's in the best interest of everyone if we protect these guys and the best interest of the fan bases. I mean, you don't want to see the Chiefs playing Matt Moore or some random quarterback. You want to see Mahomes. Same with the Saints. You want to see Breeze. You don't want to see... Well, Bridgewater was definitely... um, ticket-worthy material this season, but generally speaking, you don't want to see the backup in, obviously, no matter who it is. Same with um, really any team. No one wanted to see Luck retire. No one wanted to see, no one wants to see Pittsburgh play without Ben. Nobody wants to see the Packers without Rodgers. I mean, that, those are the big ticket items that the NFL has to promote by these great quarterbacks, so... Obviously, if we lose one of them, it's over with. We have nobody but backups in. And like I mentioned last year, there were so many backups playing. Darnold's backup. Or backups. I can't remember who even played for him. Um, he was hurt. Mahomes was out for a little bit. Wentz, of course, got hurt in the playoffs. And McCown had to take over. I mean, all of these high-profile guys missing quarters, missing games, weeks, whatever, really affects the league, I think, and obviously people want to see the best product they can, and obviously, I don't blame them, I mean, these are big ticket guys, but you got to think that, like I said, obviously that's why this is in place, but at the end of the day, I wish they could review this stuff more, and I really wish the NFL would implement reviewing, targeting on players, because a lot of it, I don't think... It's intentional, but unfortunately, they don't see it that way. But I would like to see that implemented. I would not necessarily like to see the um, ejection part of it because you could eject a really great player. But I just I don't think we're ready for that in the NFL. But the college level, I totally see it because they see that as a deterrent to concussions and preventing concussions because if a guy thinks knows he's gonna get ejected he's gonna let up a little bit which could lead to a guy dragging a tackle potentially or whatever isn't a lot of guys heads to be cautious and not um not go after some guy because you're afraid you're gonna hit him or hurt him it's unfortunate but yeah kind of how it is so I don't have the most recent data but um in the past so 2018 regular season so 
Yeah, 2018 regular season. Cushions were down 29% from the previous year. So 135 compared to 190 in 2017. And they fell by 23%, which is great. So clearly these rules appear to be working. And I think that's great. And like I said, that benefits everybody. The fan bases, the, the league itself, they're all about making money. So obviously we want to see these guys in playing. So it's good to see that these statistics are showing that the rules are helping and that the concussions are being limited. But I also think it has to do with the way to monitor them and where you have to get absolutely cleared. You can't just, oh, get the salt. Oh, he's up, he's good. Go back in there. That's not how it works now. So that's definitely playing a key part in that, as well as the helmet-to-helmet rule changes in the roughing, the head and neck. That's two really big rules that I think have led to that um, decrease in injury. All right, so really the next two major rules have to do with um, how the game special teams are played. So basically, also around this 10, 15 year ago span, they eliminated the wedge block on kick returns. And really, the wedge was pretty dangerous. You know, you got guys running down full speed, two or three guys just wedging and taking some guy out. Also led to a lot of concussions. So obviously, naturally, common sense it says, you know, let's ban that because you got three, two or three guys blocking one guy. Yeah, it creates a lot of open lanes, but it's also leading to a lot of injuries and concussions. I mean, I remember a time where there wasn't really a kickoff or any special teams play where a guy wouldn't hurt. And that remains true to this day. I mean, so you don't see it as common as far as head injuries. Of course, guys will get rolled up on and things like that, but really, without the wedge, there isn't too much physical contact with guys running full speed and just two guys laying one guy out. It's not as common, obviously, because it's eliminated. And occasionally, even though the teams have adjusted to this, they still occasionally will call, throw a flag and call a legal wedge. It's very rare. I haven't seen it called too often, but it still is called occasionally. That's just there for us to remind them, hey, we're not doing wedges. We can't do this. It's dangerous. Whatever. That also kind of goes with the blindside block, which to me was more implemented more for the kick return game because a lot of times guys would come across the field vertically and take a guy out without even seeing him, which obviously... Back in the day, early 2000s and mid 2000s, that was an exciting play to see a guy get laid out. But of course, it was also very dangerous. Guys got concussions, CT, all that stuff. So, obviously, they eliminated, eliminated that as well. And that also applies to offense, defensive returns, offensive plays, whatever. And you don't see it that often as a result. If it is seen or called, it's usually on a kick return or power return more than anything. But that's also kind of a picky rule, though, because sometimes a guy doesn't do that, and they say, and they call it anyway. It's whatever. Refs aren't perfect. We know this. A lot of times they're terrible, but that's just kind of how it is. But, you know, that's how things are called. That's how things are. 
You just don't know. But overall, that was another one of the big reasons why that was estimated as well. Is because blindside, getting hit in the mind, blindsided. Usually you're getting hit in the head area or neck. Sometimes the shoulder, but you're not expecting it. So your body is not really bracing for that impact because you can't see what's happening. And obviously that would that would hurt, obviously, and it's led to a lot of concussions and injuries because of that. And cut guys' careers short, for sure. But that was a major one. And then, of course, in the last five years, you got the kickoffs being moved back to the 35, which are up to the... 35 which deters the kick return which I don't agree with I think it's stupid you don't have the wedge rolling flex you don't have the blindside block and pace really obviously not having a guy return it is going to be safer if you can't return the kick but it also kind of takes the fun out of it because guys people fans love seeing 100 kick, yard kickoff return 107 yard kickoff return and yes, as well, it does deter certain guys, but if you're a returner, that's your job, man. Your eyes light up, especially if you're a guy like a Cobb or a Patterson or a Ted Ginn or a Hester. You don't care where you're at. You think you can score every time you touch that ball on the return. So naturally, that's going to happen. It's going to happen. So you got guys returning them anyway. There's still 100, 101, 102, 103 yard shake returns this day which is awesome it's one of the most exciting plays in football and you got to protect it i get that you don't want the guy getting hurt returning the kick but at the same time you're kind of losing that excitement value and really seven points and seven points that those seven points can help be the factor between you winning or losing because special teams is one of the three phases of football the one that we've always had and it's exciting maybe they'll adjust and do what the xfl did which was very awkward but kick it from the 30 and have all the guys lined up um, down around the kick returner, but no one can move until the ball is caught. I never saw a kick return touchdown result of, result of this. I'm not saying that's impossible. It will take the fans a lot of time to get used to, but I don't know how that would work. Maybe test it in preseason and see what they think about it. But I just, I don't know. I don't see that really catching on. I do see it catching on due to a safety standpoint, but I don't know how fans really take that. But I do get it. I do get it, you know. It's an interesting concept. You can't move until the guy catches the ball. And they're only like a couple yards, a few yards apart. So it's not like they're that far away. And you're limiting those high speed collisions, which is great. Obviously, that's kind of helpful. Eliminating those collisions because the guys are so close together. Like I said, I've never really seen a guy return the kick that far from this, but it's possible. But I also don't like that it gives them good field position. Almost guaranteed, which I don't like that. But it'll be interesting to see how they kind of adjust to that later in the future. So I definitely can see if you want to test it out, test it out in preseason. If after three weeks of preseason, you're like, you know what, this is stupid, we're not doing it, fine. Because I don't think anybody wants to see the kickoff eliminated. I know I don't want to see it because, like I said, it's one of the three phases. So seven points on a return could ultimately be the deciding factor in a game. You just don't know. 
you end up winning by seven, you can look at that play as, oh, well, that's the one that really got us over the top. Or it could spark your offense or defense. You just don't know what a kick return can do for a team, can do for the tide of the game. It could turn, it could not turn. We don't know. But we are not, if we eliminate it, we're never going to know. And it's going to cut out a lot of guys' jobs. I know Matthew Slater is a huge special teams demon for the Patriots on kicks and punts. So if you eliminate a kick return, that kind of limits his ability to do his job as a gunner and get down and get the guy on the ground. A lot of guys have made careers out of special teams. He's one of them. Steve Tasker back in the 80s and 90s. Great special teams guy on kickoffs and punts, forcing fumbles, forcing turnovers, because he was the first guy there. He was relentless on getting to the getting the guys. That's why he had so many Pro Bowl selections as a special team player. And that's crazy. But guys get paid to play kick return and punt return. And a good gunner is important as well because it limits how far the guy's going to be able to go when he catches the ball. And I think that's also important. And kick returners and punt returners. That's a job that you draft guys for occasionally. Or you sign guys off the street for because you want a guy who's fast and quick and shifty and can make break, make and break tackles. So it's important that you have a guy that can return. I know back in the day, Pittsburgh used to use Antonio Brown on kicks, kickoffs, but mainly on punts. And you don't want your number one guy returning punts and getting exposed to big hits because he's your number one receiver. He goes down, and it's over with. You're kind of screwed. So I can see the safety aspect we know is all there, many concussions, et cetera, but that's also going to cut out a third of the game one-third of the game's phases, which is obviously offense, defense, special teams. That's going to completely eliminate that. And I don't think anybody wants that. Not the Slaters and, like, Hester. If Hester, if there was no kickoffs, what would he have done? He wouldn't have been the guy he was. Because he didn't really play much receiver corner. He played, he was a kick returner, and he was the greatest we've ever seen. So if this wasn't a thing, then kickoff for thing, I mean, where would we be? He wouldn't have had the career that he's had, which was great. I mean, a guy, both kickoff, punt return, you touch it, who knows what's going to happen. And you just don't know. I mean, he was a threat to score whenever he touched the ball. And I think that was one of the most exciting guys to ever play the game. And we wouldn't have had that if we would have Oh, eliminated kickoffs, or had the kickoff from the 35, because they didn't have that when he was playing. It was just your typical kick it off, wedge here, there, and let him go. Let him break, make a couple, make him, let him break a couple tackles. So, I mean, like I said, it would have cut a phase out of the game, a phase that we wouldn't want cut out, per se, but also, I think it's a necessary part of the game. As I mentioned, I think if you're going to test out the XFO version where they kick it, the kicker's by himself at the 30, runs up and kicks it, and the guys can't move till the returner catches it, great. Test it out. See how the NFL players respond to it. Because if they think it's stupid and they don't like it, then I think you got to take what they say with a little bit of weight 
because obviously they're the product. So you should listen to what they have to say. But overall, we need to kick, kick, kick off in the game, obviously, but I see the concussion aspect of it. Like I said, I remember back in the day, guys getting hurt. One or two guys at a time sometimes getting hurt on special teams plays. Whether it's the guy getting blocked or the two guys blocking him, hitting him with the helmet. It's a high-speed collision. It's one of the most high-speed impacts the game has is a kick return. You're running down full speed and knocking some guy out. I mean, obviously, there's, there's a problem with that. It will limit any exposure to injury, of course. But at the same time, we can't completely eliminate it. That, can't be, that shouldn't be the answer for any problem we have in the league. We shouldn't just eliminate something from football at a period. And I just don't think that's really the solution you should take. Find a way to adjust, like, like I said, eliminating the blind side, making that more of an emphasis. Moving the kickoffs up has helped a little bit. It also deterred returns, which I don't like either, but it is making it safer. And then, of course, banging the wedge really has cut down on double team blocks and a guy getting taken out by two guys instead of just one. So we have adjusted and more or less teams have adjusted. Like I said, I've never seen really a wed illegal wedge called much. It's very rare, maybe once or twice a season. Most teams have adjusted to it. And that's really what it's about is adjusting and making the game safer. And I think they realize it. Players have bought in more than they did initially. So they are trying to make the game better so these guys can play longer. The more longevity we have, the more we can see these guys play, the better off the league will be in the future because we don't want guys retiring at 25, 26, 27, 28, 29. We want guys like Brady playing into their 40s, 40, 41, 42 at a high level. We need to protect these guys and kick returners as well because they're just they're one of the main phases and guys make careers out of special teams. Alright, that sound means I'm going to finish the show with my one big thought. And my one big thought for today has to do, of course, with the CTE and football and concussions. But it's how I think the league is semi-contradicted itself. Um, as many of you probably know, the new CBA was passed um, with the disgust of a lot of high-profile players like Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, etc., who really were not on board with this. For obvious reasons, I mean, you add another game to the regular season and you add a seventh playoff team to the playoffs, which to me is idiotic. 16 games is perfect. It's an even number. Playoffs, even number. And you don't have 7, 9, 8, and 8, 6, and 10 teams making it which was the disgruntlement of fans for the current model. But with the current model, the six teams, it's rare that a seven and nine, eight and eight team gets in. It happens once or twice every few years. It's not a common thing at all. So I didn't really understand this move, especially from a safety standpoint. I think that's kind of what the players were upset about. You tell me I have to play another extra game, one that's probably going to be meaningless because if we have a spot locked up, there's no point in us playing the last week or two if we have a huge lead on 
second place team that we're fighting for the top spot for. So to me, it kind of just eliminates the, the desire of some of them too. I mean, if I had to play 17 games as opposed to 16, do I play, do we still get one buy? Do we get two buys? How does this work? I'm not really sure on that, but it sounds like they're just going to get the one buy still, which, like I said, I just don't understand a seventh, another game because you play your sixth division and then your ten non-conference, which is how it should be. But now you add another game that I personally think is going to be meaningless. And I just thought the NFL is kind of contradicting itself. It's like, oh, we want to make the game safer, but yeah, we want to make the season and game longer. That, to me, really makes no sense at all. I mean, it doesn't make sense. And a lot of people have expressed their opinion about this, and it doesn't make sense. You had an extra game, which, like I said, I think will be meaningless, and then you had another playoff game, which that doesn't really affect too much, maybe, but if you're that seventh seed limping across the finish line, and let's say week 16 or week 17, your team just like falls apart and everybody's hurt and you're just looking into the playoffs, you're screwed. You have no time off. You have nothing to get prepared for the next week. You're going to play the number two seed who's going to be one of the contenders for that year and you're probably going to get blown out by like 40 or 50 points. And who wants to watch that? I don't want to watch the freaking 8-8, eight 7-9 eight, Browns team lose by 30 points. I mean, that's stupid. No one wants to see the Chiefs or... Somebody like that play and beat the brakes off of a team like the Browns or whoever the last seed will be. And it just, just scratched my head over it because you're exposing them to another week of possibly getting injured. So I think it's, we're going to see potentially even shorter careers, unfortunately. And I really hope not. I, that's going to suck if that's the case, but... Adding another game, to me, doesn't solve anything. I wish they wouldn't have passed it. I wish they would have said, hey, keep it the same. But add the other stuff. Cool. We'll add an extra, extra few roster spots. We'll add this and that. Cool. We can do that. But adding an extra game to each is just doesn't make sense. And to me, they're contradicting themselves here when they're expressing, oh, we've player safety, but you're just giving them more chances to get hurt. And let's say, like I said, at the end of the year, you're fighting for that last spot or you're seeding and Rodgers gets hurt. Now you have the top one or two seed and then no quarterback. So you're screwed. You have a team that was a contender, probably could have won or at least get to the championship or Super Bowl. And then now their quarterbacks is down for the season because you had an extra game. Makes no sense. And I think they weren't really thinking when they said this. But I get it. The NFL is all about making money. They don't necessarily care about the players or their safety. Well, they do. They do care, I guess, because they implemented all the rules that I was mentioning earlier. But you're not helping them out because you're giving them more games to get hurt, exposing them to another week of a grueling season. But, I don't know, like I said, I just didn't, there's no logic to it to me. And we're going to see bad teams get in, and a lot of other bad stuff besides injuries are going to happen because of this. 
don't think, like I said, I don't think anybody wants to see guys getting hurt even more than they already are. So I will be monitoring, especially next season, whenever that happens, if we're able to even play the season on time, which right now is kind of up in the air. It's interesting to see how the concussions go if we do add an extra game to each the postseason and the regular season. We'll see what happens. If they go up, then obviously this was a stupid stupid idea, stupid rule to implement of adding games onto the season. If they go down or stay about the same, then maybe this wasn't really as debilitating as I thought or everyone else thought. It's possible, but we'll have to see. It's yet to be determined how this is going to affect everything injury-wise, but as I said, I would like to see how the concussion statistics match up with the previous one or two seasons when we just have the 16 games as, as opposed to the 17 games we're now going to start seeing on a regular basis, at least probably for the next 10 years as the CBA is um, out for, which I believe is 10 years. So next 10 years, we're going to see a lot of adjustments, a lot of extra teams getting shots they probably don't deserve. But maybe those will be like, hey, we'll just take that part out of it. It was stupid. We realized that was not a good idea. We're not going to do this. However, I was anticipating them doing that because these extra weeks give teams more time to make money. And really that's what it's all about, making money for the owners, but also for the league itself. Goodell, of course, is trying to look good, even though I think he's a complete idiot. But he's in charge. He's not getting up, giving up his power anytime soon. And he's certainly not going to get voted out probably anytime soon either. As much as I would love to see somebody else replace him, this is not going to happen. Unfortunately, because like I said, he's an idiot, and this made no sense to me of why you're adding on games to an already long and even numbered season. But it is what it is. I'm definitely, I'm more worried about the college football season coming up. Uh, it might not be played, so I'm really concerned about that because I love watching college just as much as fo- regular NFL football. Sometimes I like it better just because then it's not all this bogus adjusting the season and all this stupid stuff that the NFL does. But I'm still going to watch this football. Do I like it? No. Will I get adjusted to it? Maybe we'll just accept it as, as the norm and then for the next 10 years. I don't know, year two or three or four, maybe I'll be like, hey, you know what? This ain't so bad after all. I doubt it. But I'm a person that doesn't like change, obviously. So people who don't like change, people who don't like changing of the rules, changing of the schedule and the NFL really screwing around with stuff. It's probably not going to like this initially. And, of course, like I said, if I see more guys like my quarterback get hurt or Rodgers or all these really high-profile guys, they start dropping, then, yeah, I'm going to be mad and be like, hey, you gave them an extra season, game of the season. It's your fault for even doing it. But overall, like I said, it's going to be an adjustment. And I also feel that they are contradicting themselves based on adding more games, which exposes players to more injury and more hit but like I said we'll just have to see what happens and I will revisit this at another time once the statistics come out for next season of concussions because I anticipate maybe a slight increase just because we have an extra week but maybe it won't have any effect at all I don't know 
I hope not because we want to see our stars and our guys on the field. And if we don't, then if I finally lose a little revenue, and fan bases are going to be really ticked off, and then that's never a good thing either. And they're going to be harassing Goodell on social media. Who knows? But overall, we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm not a fan of it, but it seems contradictory. But I mean, guys are still safe. That's really all that matters. That's the bottom line. We don't want concussions. We don't want CTE. And that's really what this whole four-part series has been about. We do not want CTE in the game, period, or concussions. But we also don't help ourselves by giving another week to the season. That's my final thought for the day. All right, that concludes once again another episode of The Fanatic with your host, David Patrick. This was part two, as I mentioned, of the CTE in football series. And today I just wanted to really just talk about how the rules have been changed and how football has been changed over the past 20 years and 100 years as well. So there's still going to be changes. There's still going to be rule changes. I think they're talking about banning or eliminating the reviewing PI, which was dumb. They should never have done that anyway. But it'll be interesting to see in the next 10 years, like I said, how concussions will be affected by this new and longer season. I know it's only one game, but one game can be the difference between a guy blowing a knee out or getting concussed or worse. We just don't know how one extra game is going to affect the statistics. We could have more concussions, we could have less, we could have the same amount. We're not going to know for sure until next season is officially wrapped up and the statistics come out. I'm really looking forward to that and I appreciate y'all for listening again. Please follow me at the under the fanatic underscore DP on Twitter. I would love to hear feedback from everyone that listens. And please subscribe, please listen wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, and as well as seven or eight other outlets out there. Google, Apple, whatever. Check it out. Part two, rule changes in the NFL. Please check it out. Thank you all again. Once again, I appreciate everyone who listens. And you have a good night.